Hi and welcome to The Intersect. I'm Eric Tischler. Apt Associates tackles complex challenges around the world, ranging from improving health and education to assessing the impact of environmental changes. For any given problem, we bring multiple perspectives to the table. We thought it would be enlightening and maybe even fun to pair up colleagues from different disciplines so they can share their ideas and perhaps spark new thinking about how we solve these challenges. Today I'm joined by two of those colleagues, Caroline Stobe and Matt Kirby. Caroline is an analytical and strategic international development professional with 10-plus years leading programs in climate change adaptation and resilience, environmental science, natural resources management, sustainable agriculture, and food security across a variety of geographical settings. Matt is a medical entomologist with an expertise in mosquitoes, insecticidal products, and insectary management procedures. He's APS Technical Director for the President's Malaria Initiative, or PMI, Vectorlink Project. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks, Eric. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. Uh, when we think about climate change, many of us think about cataclysmic change due to rising temperatures and sea levels, but climate change also is exacerbating human health at a more human scale. Uh, Caroline, I know you address some of these macro concerns with your work on agriculture and food security, but you, can you talk about some of the health concerns you look at when you're thinking about climate change and resilience? Yes, absolutely. So what I've seen is that the focus on climate adaptation is unequally distributed across sectors, Right. The latest report published by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change shows that most adaptation actions are concentrated in the food sector, in agriculture, right? While the health sector has the least. So most public health practitioners are poorly equipped to understand uh, or manage the effects of climate change, despite a major push to alert the health community about the risk. So our team, at the moment, we just submitted a proposal focused on increasing access to actionable information on climate risks, on adaptation options, and capacity building to help decision makers in the health sector consider climate risks and climate smart options in planning and operations. Uh, related to that, we're working on improving climate risk assessment and management in vector control in Africa. We'll talk a little bit about that today. There's also a major funding issue Adaptation projects are chronically underfunded. There's a need for targeted funding to sustain capacity building for users of climate information in the health sector, for delivering disease surveillance and forecasting tools, for downscaling climate information for decision making at the district level. Right? There's also an important equity issue. Countries that are most impacted by climate change receive the least amount of adaptation funding. So here as well, we're working on an effort to partner with the, pub to, with the private sector to mobilize finance and actions that support adaptation and resilience across climate sensitive sectors worldwide and also ensure that the funding goes where it's most needed. Great, thank you. So you just mentioned vectors and surveillance and data. So let's turn to Matt. Matt is APS Technical Director for the PMI Vectorlink Project. Can you tell us what your mandate is and what you're seeing on the ground? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Eric. So the PMI Vectorlink Project is is implementing vector control, um, primarily um, indoor residual spraying, but also now um, we're, we're certainly involved more now with, with distributing uh, insecticide-treated nets and also doing some larviciding. And this is really building on the, the work that was done under the predecessor project, the AIRS project. Uh, but we now have very much an expanded focus, um, as I say, supporting nets distribution as well as IRS and, and entomological surveillance under a, under a broader vector control mandate. So last year, we sprayed IRS in, in 17 countries, covering about 6 million structures and protecting about 21 million people. 
uh, and then also directly involved with with distributing about seven million nets, uh, protecting protecting over thirteen million people. Um, so in almost all of our uh, vector-linked countries, we we are implementing entomological surveillance activities, and those are really important to help interpret the uh, impact of um, of vector control interventions on the mosquito populations. We know that there you know there are key mosquito indicators that we can use, um, densities, seasonalities, survival rates, uh, age structure of the population, uh, abundance, all, all of these things are, are really key parameters that so we know if we can keep, for example, daily survival rates down, keep the life expectancy of mosquitoes below um, the period it takes for the parasite to develop in the mosquitoes, then, then we're onto a, onto a winning formula. But we also know that you know there, there are massive impacts of climate um, on on all of these indicators, um, not just like mosquito um, parameters, but also the parasite. So the length of development of the parasite in the mosquito um, is dependent on temperature. The survival uh, of the mosquito, reproduction of mosquitoes, um, the period between when the period in between taking blood meals in mosquitoes, all of these things are affected by by temperatures and obviously very critically um, rainfall because mosquitoes are are aquatic they have an aquatic larval stage they are they are very much limited by um, and strongly strongly associated with with rainfall patterns and that can that can work in two ways so um you know we obviously need need some rainfall in order to develop breeding sites for these mosquitoes but if they if we have these kind of catastrophic events or some flooding um, we can actually wash out those those habitats, and that that can have a kind of the opposite effect on densities. So, all of these parameters that we're we're trying to record with our mosquito monitoring uh, have links to climate change and also um, impact on our ability to interpret the the effectiveness of the interventions we're we're using. Great thing. So, and that would seem to you know track back into what Caroline's talking about about in terms of gathering data on um, climate impacts. You guys want to talk about that a little bit? You know, Caroline, maybe the data that you're collecting, Matt, the data you'd like to be seeing, how, how can we connect those dots? Sure, I think what might help um, discuss or answer this particular question is first understanding uh, how weather extremes are affecting operational decisions, right? How changing seasons are affecting decisions in planning. And then we can talk about the types of data. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I don't. Know, I guess like one of the one of the critical indicators that that we use is, or one of the the key timings that we have is is when to spray insecticide. Yeah. Um, we have to spray before the rains. So that's for, for several reasons. You know, it's operationally easier to be to be conducting those campaigns in the dry season, but we also have to implement the the insecticide spraying before mosquito densities increase. And we need to maximize the period of effectiveness. These, these insecticides decay over time. So we, we have to make sure that we spray at a time um, that, that that insecticide will then provide protection throughout. Right. In Uganda, for example, two distinct rainfall seasons have now merged into one very long season. And that, like Matt was saying, is affecting the effectiveness of the spray campaigns and makes them more costly. Right. Um, it's also interesting to think about the operation side, uh, right? So on the day-to-day basis, extreme weather events are 
are causing people to migrate to new areas, right? Which means making things very difficult to plan in health-related interventions. We're looking at heat waves that are affecting operations as well, causing health officers to suffer from fatigue, from dehydration. And then thinking about torrential rain, which damages health centers and infrastructure, right? So roads needed to deliver goods and services become unusable. Yeah, and it's a really good point you, you raise actually about, you know, there's not just the impact on on the mosquitoes and, and on malaria transmission, but also we, we mustn't forget the the human in, the human element in that in that equation. If populations are displaced by by extreme events, they are less likely to be reached by vector control, or they might not be um, living in accommodation that can be sprayed with insecticide or is suitable for hanging a bed net. So that that's obviously another impact there that, that climate change can have more, I guess, more indirectly on the on the ability of vector control to to protect people. But yeah, just coming back to your your example for Uganda. Um, so in several countries, we've shifted IRS campaign periods and start dates in response to changing rain patterns and malaria transmission seasons. So in, in Uganda, under an app-led bilateral project, the spraying was done um, in, in May to August, but but under Vectorlink, we've now moved to March. Um, and in a similar example in Tanzania, in the in a Lake Victoria region, we we were implementing spray campaigns in late January and early February. But by last year, we we started shifting those campaigns by seven months to October and November. And that's really absolutely forced changes we've had to make to 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 adjust our programs to to maximise their impact because of climate change and, and that impact on seasonality of mosquitoes and malaria. So getting back to um, to Caroline's comments really about gathering data, Matt, you know, what, what can we, what can Caroline's side of the house be doing to help your side of the house? Yeah. So one of the tools that we use is called the, the race to the start line. The, the IRS program is a massive operation. So um, there's planning that goes on several several weeks i think at least nine weeks before we start start our campaigns to make sure that we we begin on time uh, and that tool you know it reflects the the checklist of criteria we need to meet to to ensure a successful campaign um and the tool kind of sends it sends reminders um it's an electronic based based tool and it it really ensures that our activities are completed successfully on time uh and follow along a critical path so tied to that race to the start line tool, the you know, the use of seasonal weather forecasts that might be able to give us a three month advance warning of above or below average rainfalls or extreme um, or changes in temperatures at a regional level. That could really help potentially to trigger operational decisions. Um, and then we can adjust our you know supplies procurement and pre-positioning accordingly. Uh, and then, as Caroline was alluding to, you know, these 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 more more these events that are actually happening during spray campaigns uh, are also important because those calendars kind of give the the teams a daily itinerary throughout the spray period. So we're making sure we're getting to all of the households uh, in an effective way. And this this is a costly operation. So daily transportation is one of the biggest contributors to the cost of those operations. So if we if we're able to anticipate um, events that could disrupt that calendar or those operations, we can we can plan around those again in advance and make sure that, for example, we're only renting or fueling vehicles on, on days when they're absolutely required. Caroline, how about you? Like, any hearing that, you know, are you seeing ways in which you feel like your side of the house can support? Are are you thinking of other things that might be helpful? Or and then conversely, 
anything um, from that side that could be helping you in your work? Yeah, I think Matt laid it out really well. Um, for vector-borne diseases, when we're talking about adaptation options, we're really talking about it a variety of, of solutions, right? We're talking about surveillance, we're talking about vaccine development, we're talking about early warning systems, and Matt alluded to, to the latter. And, and what's encouraging is that many studies have shown now, for example, studies by Thompson and her colleagues, uh, showing that are showing that, that accurate and timely climate information can help predict the timing of peak malaria transmission every year. It can improve the efficiency of resource use. It can reduce caseloads, right? Particularly in areas that are prone to epidemics and where transmission is uh, seasonal. Now, I think what's important to, to, I guess, appreciate is that climate information is used together with parasitological and entomological variables, right? Um, they can be used to map areas and time periods that are becoming more suitable for malaria transmission and also help predict those in the future. We, we call them climate smart health services. And they've been used now in vector control for many years. In Ethiopia and Madagascar, climate and health experts started collaborating on data sharing and technical support for over 20 years now. They organize trainings for malaria control professionals at various levels. The National Meteorological Agency tailored its service and its data towards supporting decision making by making forecasting disease transmission using proven evidence-based tools. So those decision tools can help establish an association between rainfall and temperature on the one hand, and the biology of malaria parasites and mosquitoes on the other hand, which they then use to forecast the probability of outbreaks. So one of the examples where we're already where we already have this interface between between the activities of Vector Link and, and some climate climate related data is is the use of ground based observations from from met stations to help with interpretation of of some of the outcomes that we that we find. Um, what we're expecting to see with our IRS with our spraying is an almost immediate impact on mosquito densities. So in events where we don't see that or we, we're hitting some anomalies, being able to correctly attribute uh, changes in in densities of mosquitoes or seasonality is is really important it becomes even more important and and climate obviously is something that also has an impact um on on densities and on seasonalities so one example of this is is it, again back in uganda we we had uh, an actual increase in densities soon after spraying so we thought what's, what's going on we were able to look at the rainfall in that one particular district where we saw this anomaly and we found that the rainfall was three times higher in that month than all of our other sentinel districts. It was also the highest in that one district for five years. Wow. So it gives a good example that we need to be interpreting our data in the right context and 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 having climate data into that, into our database systems, having that integrated approach will really help to, to, to consolidate that approach. Yes, no, that's a great point. I think there's a lot to be said about just bringing the climate and health communities together and encouraging collaboration on data sharing, on technical support, right? Organizing trainings for malaria control professionals at various levels. Um, there's there's a lot of opportunity to further the use of climate-informed surveillance and early warning systems for vector control. Definitely that training piece is really important because Vectorlink, we have we have surveillance in it. We have a limited surveillance. There's only so much we can do. But national programs have surveillance nationwide, and so really training their teams to be adding this component into what they're doing is is critical. Yeah, great. Well, and of course we call this podcast the Intersect because we want to bring together you know 
those sectors within apt to help deliver uh, more thorough and more efficient and broader solutions. So um, it's, it's good to have you guys talking and recognizing that there's that opportunity for greater partnership uh, within app to help our clients. Uh, thank you both for joining me. Thanks very much. Thanks for thank having you me. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us at The Intersect. Mm-hmm.